Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has... Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now. Hi, everyone. Welcome. Gobble, 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 gobble. Happy Thanksgiving from all of us at Inside Curling. We are recording this on Thanksgiving Monday. It's a weekly show that we do. This is uh, number two of the season. We've got tons on the show. And of course, we couldn't do it without our two World Curling Hall of Famers and our washed up comedian. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Warren Hanson and Kevin Martin, of course, join us each and every week. They are members of, the, of course, the Alberta Hall of Fame and the Canadian Curling Hall of Fame and the World Curling Hall. You guys are running out of Hall of Fames, man. Holy God. First, we want to fully recognize all of our sponsors, Jackpot City, who brings you what is happening around the curling world, Coyote Tractor, the sponsor Hot Rock Topics, and Goldline, always sponsors in the house, our guest spot. Thank you to Hearing Life, uh, who brings us What Are You Hearing? Do you know what I did for Thanksgiving, fellas? I had bacon and eggs alone. I thought you would have invited me, okay? I got no turkey. Nothing, okay? And I used to have to sit through my mother's driest turkey in the world, okay? It was awful. My mom couldn't cook. You know, everyone says, well, gravy helps everything, weren't Gets rid of the dryness. My mother had a different philosophy. She said, wine gets rid of the dryness, okay? So just, <laughs> that's how we spent our Thanksgiving. Uh, happy Thanksgiving again, boys, to you. Here's what's on the show today. Uh, in the house is our special guest, uh, Tyler Tardy. Young man, only 25, and he's done a lot. What's happening around the curling world? Brought to you by Jackpot City. This past weekend, there was a mixed doubles event. Part of the mixed doubles super series took place in Sherwood Park. Let's find out about that. A few weeks ago, Curling Canada announced Montana's Bar and Barbecue as the new title sponsor of the Briar. Thanks a lot to Tim Hortons for all those years, but we're going to chat about that and what it means to men's curling in Canada. Uh, The WCF held its uh, annual general meeting in September. Three new nations were announced. Boy, you won't believe who they are. This is, if that's any indication about curling growing, this announcement tells you that for sure. The first Grand Slam of the season, the Hearing Life Tour Challenge, will be happening at the Gale Centre in Niagara Falls, October 17th to the 22nd. We're going to take a look at how this event is structured and some of the teams that are playing in it. Hot Rock Topics brought to you by Coyote Tractor. During the WCF AGM a few weeks ago, a decision was made in regards to 10 ends or 8 ends. Do we finally have a decision? Dun, 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 dun. We'll have to wait and see. <laughs> we uh, Hearing Life, Ryan Hartley is going to join us. A special event going on in Dundas, Ontario. This sounds pretty cool, man. And uh, they got some music happening. Warren, can you sing? I just play the piano, Jim. That's all. I'll accompany your song. Yeah. <laughs> all right. We could never do it without Goldline Curling. They've been with us the whole way. Goldline Curling's Momentum shoes are unbelievably comfortable with a fast, reliable slider and a gripper that will keep you steady on the ice. Learn more at goldlinecurling.com. And our guest joins us now. 
Tyler Tardy, how are you, Tyler? Good, how are you guys? Did we get you up early? Not at all, no. I was uh, looking at your uh, career, Tyler. You're one of the new young breeds, uh, 25-year-old third for Kevin Cooey now. That's uh, that's remarkable. But also, as I was flipping through uh, last night, you are the nephew of Kathy Goche, three-time Canadian champ, and your cousin Jacques, her son was the Canadian junior champ in 2020. Big shoes to fill. Is Kathy on you going, you got, you got a lot of stuff to keep up here, pal, okay? A lot of history. <laughs> yeah, no, she she doesn't really talk about her uh, past too much with me, to be honest. She's pretty uh, humble with that stuff. But uh, Jacques is a teammate now, so uh, we're at each other's throats all the time. We're very close, and uh, yeah, it's been fun. Uh, so she's not too tough. You said she's humble? Yeah, for sure. Okay. <laughs> okay. Tell me how you're feeling coming into the year. Boy, that's a big team you're curling for. Yeah, good. It was nice to cap off a bit of an up and down season last year, winning the players. New team, we're figuring some stuff out. We've had a bit of a up and down start here, losing the final again to Botcher and uh, Okotoks, and then losing the first round on the points bet. But uh, we feel like our ceiling on this team is is pretty high. We just need to see how we can find that. What separates Kevin Cooey as a skip from other ones that you've been involved with? Um, probably just the, the fearlessness. I can point out a lot of ridiculous shots that uh, a lot of people wouldn't even consider, and that's Kevin's first, second, and third option. So he's, <laughs> he's not afraid to play anything, and then it's a lot of fun to, to be a part of that. Cool, man. Kev, over to you. Uh, well, thanks a lot for joining us, Tyler. I, I've got so much to ask you about uh, this year, but... Uh, I think I think we need to start with your new player, Jacques Gauthier, being on the team, um, trying to fill the boots of one of the best seconds to ever play the game. That's hard. Uh, how does I guess? How do you think he's feeling about that? And 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 how do you think he's doing so far? Now I did watch some of. Well, I watched pretty much all of your games that you've played so far this year. But your thoughts on on how Mister Gauthier is fitting in? Good. Yeah. I mean, um, I think he's accepted that doesn't matter who you are you're not going to be a better sweeper than brad Thiessen. um and that's no disrespect to jacques at all it's just brad's an animal and uh, i i i personally think he was the best sweeper in the world um and uh yeah he he's come to terms with that but um you know he's a very talented shooter and uh i think he brings a lot of uh personality to the team he's a big chatterbox and he brings a lot more out of the rest of us as well so uh yeah, it's, it's a definitely a different dynamic and, um, you know, feeling it out. Well, you know, I'd like to ask you about the technical part of the game because you came on to the Cooey team and not really, I guess, brought up sort of like where for myself with Jules Ochar or Carrick with Rob Kreps or Brendan Botcher with Rob, you know, that kind of a culture where it's all technical, technical, technical. And that wasn't really you uh, or, or Jacques for that matter. But Kevin likes to have things come fairly straight at him rather than more artistic. Um, I guess where is that at right now for for Jacques because he's new, but then also for you too. Now that you 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 know, in my opinion, you kind of struggled at the start of your first year with Kevin, but at the end, I think you were all star at the Briar. <laughs> you came on really strong with some big numbers, and I'd I'd like to hear your thoughts on the technical side for for you, but also for you and Jacques. I think the new kind of mindset is that. Dave's trying to push us in the direction of having the rock come straight at the broom instead of um, having all the players having the same uh, setup so that the rock always comes from the same angle for each player. 
And um, that's kind of where I kind of grew up with it is just straight through. I never really tried putting the rock close to the center until uh, last year where I made some technical changes. And I think that's partly why I struggled so much early in the year is that it was something I've never done before. Then end of the year, worked really hard at it, but um, it took a long time to, to kind of figure out what that feels like. And um, now we're going back potentially. So uh, I, I think we might see a little bit of struggles early on again, just because we're changing the thought process of how we're trying to throw the rock every every single year for the last two years. But uh, yeah, it's going to be a process no matter what we're doing. It's going to be interesting. Um, so just so everybody knows who's who's watching uh, and listening today, yeah, there's been some changes with David Murdoch coming on. It's 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 hard for me to understand. I I so I certainly do not agree with Dave's doing. I, I'm de- I definitely do not. Um, I like to have the tangents be the same. If you have a lefty and a righty on the team to throw down the same lines, it makes a lot of sense. Like Mark Kennedy and I did all those years. Um, but uh, that is what we're talking about right now. And my concern is obviously if there's a lefty on the team and bringing it from your toe-ish, uh, and a righty from the toe-ish, the draw to the button is very, very important. And I guess my question to you is, is how are you going to be able to go down the same line, or maybe if you're not on the same line, keen up your path and say Kevin Cooey's path so that you both can hit the button to get last rock and increase your chances of winning by, what, 10 to 12%. That's, that's pretty important, I think. Yeah, yeah, and I think the right answer is that you're just not going to be going down the same line. Um, you just can't. Okay. Well, that's a problem. Yeah. So that's that's been a bit of a struggle for us so far in that, um, especially in the line calling aspect, and that um, I think we've lost a lot of shots early on just through line calls and not seeing the same thing for each player. But uh, and I know the mindset with Dave is that he feels that if you're going straight through, and not worried about the same tangent that each player is going to be throwing more consistently and less so that maybe it'll be the same for everyone, but with the sacrifice of maybe a couple of shot percentages, but more so having each player playing that their best and not worrying about the sameness of each player, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, I hope it makes sense to everybody. Everybody email us. If it doesn't, um, we can definitely talk about it on another show. I'm really interested for sure about uh, this and if what teams buy into it in Canada, which ones don't, and then who struggles, who doesn't in the next year or two. Dave's probably got a two-year window for this to work before people go, well, that was stupid. Let's let's, let's scrap it and go back to curling. So um, it'll be interesting. I'm really excited to see over the next couple of years um, how this works out. I don't think it's going to work out very well. I can't imagine trying to draw the button on two different paths. I, I just I just can't fathom it, but we'll see. Maybe I'm totally wrong, but anyway, but Warren, dive on in here before I get myself in trouble. <laughs> okay, Kevin. <laughs> so Tyler, as you mentioned, uh, new high-performance director, you mentioned the issue with uh, where the rock starts from. Are there other things that are going to be different with David Murdoch at the head of the helm? Um, at first glance, I think there will just be a little bit more interaction. I've already had probably more calls with uh, our high-performance director than I, I have previously. Um, he's very keen and he lives pretty close to me, so uh, I'm probably going to have a lot more interaction with him than I've, I've had in previous years, which is a good thing, I think. I know he's, he's a bit of a hard-ass, so he's not afraid to, to tell you what you think or lay down the hammer a little bit more, 
but uh, no, I think it'll be good. And yeah, uh, just going back to the whole line thing, I, I think a part of why we've been struggling a little bit early with it is um, we're trying to all throw from a straight line, but since ours are probably a little bit more significant than others, I'm a lefty, Kevin throws with a lift, uh, Karak's very broad-shouldered, and um, Jacques kind of the opposite way. So um, yeah, I think we'll probably be a team that you see struggle a little bit early with it, a little bit more than most. Let's switch gears a bit. Let's talk about mixed doubles. There was a big event in Edmonton this weekend in the Super Series. You have a new partner in the way of Rachel Holman. You were in that event. It was an international event. I think there were seven different countries represented. And you guys made it down to the semifinals, I believe, losing to Walker Myers in the semifinal game. So are you planning on going both routes into the next quad here? You're going to try mixed doubles and four-person as well? Yeah, both. that's currently the plan. And your team's okay with that? Yeah, yeah, we had that discussion. So how is it going with Rachel? Uh, have you played with her before this year, or is this the first time? Yeah, we lost the semifinal at Nationals to Jennifer Jones and Brett Lang last season. Um, so that qualifies us to already have a berth at Nationals this year. Um, won an event last season, and yeah, had a, had a good week this, this week. Uh, Kirk and Laura played really well against us, and we had a, a pretty rough game, so... Um, they definitely deserve to win that one. And, uh, but I think before that we had a, I think we, we play really well together and for her to be doing what she's doing with, uh, having a kid just over a month ago. Um, I, I think, uh, there's good things to come. Yeah. That's, uh, amazing that she's doing what she's doing that quickly. Uh, let's talk a bit about, um, four person curling and the briar. Uh, they've made some changes again with regard to who's eligible to play uh, and the fact that we're not going to have four teams in the Briar that aren't th- through the provincial process, Team Canada and three others. What's your thoughts on that whole move that they have made? Do you feel it was the right thing to do? Has it gone far enough? Should it go farther? What's your thoughts going forward as to how should the Briar be structured? Yeah, I, I, I like it. Um, I think especially in a province like Alberta, um, and the, on the men's side, anyway, uh, having us in Botcha there, it wasn't really a surprise that we were both playing in the final. And I, I think that's not really a good um, route to take if you want to really see some new teams coming in through through the provincial system. I, I think it's sure you might have a team take down either us or, or Botcha last year, but I think to have that happened to both teams is a little unlikely just because we were both playing so well. We were, we were both having really good years. And, and uh, I, I think you got to kind of find a way to eliminate the top teams from playing through the provincials if you want to see some new fresh blood come out and, and have some success in the future through and uh, early development. So do you think uh, th- the whole system should be revamped further going forward or do you think it's good now the way it is? You think there's need for more changes? Probably need to have this happen a couple more times to really know for sure. I'd be curious to know your guys' thoughts, but uh, I, I've liked it so far with how they've gone. I, I don't know how further it would affect anything. You'd like to have our thoughts. So, Kevin, what's your thoughts? <laughs> Let's hear your thoughts. You know what mine don't are. Don't ask for that, Tyler. Don't yeah. ask for that. Rookie move. Yeah. <laughs> no. Hey, for me, for me, it's all about the, the best beat, beating the best at the end. That, that's what it's about, in, in my opinion. You need to have all the best yeah. teams there. Any way you want to do it to make sure every best team is there. That's all that matters to me. you got to have the best team win, and in order to be the best, you got to beat the best. 
And sometimes in the, the old system, the best weren't there. So that's all that matters to me. As long as we have all the best there, because if there are some weaker teams, that really doesn't matter because, you know, the first few days of the Ron Robin will, will you know, sift that out and then you get the best ones at the end. And that's, that's wonderful. That's, that's really all that matters to me. Yeah, I think I agree. I think you got to make sure probably the top six ranks are there every year. However, you're going to go about doing that. I think that's extremely important. Let's talk about another little controversial topic that uh, you may have some strong feelings about, and that's the Canadian Junior Championship. So you're a three-time Canadian Junior Champion, two-time World Champion. So you've been on the route uh, where you won and you went to the Worlds the same year. But a couple of years ago, they changed that. Uh, certainly, both Kevin and I, I think disagree with what they did. What's your thoughts on the whole process of now a team going a year after they win, having been through that whole thing yourself, doing it the other way? Yeah, I'm, I'm personally not a fan of it um, for quite a few reasons. Uh, I, I think a big one for me is that uh, the, the schooling, I think at the junior age, a lot of them are trying to make a decision if they're trying to go the school route or the curling route. And uh, if they win, I think the drive to really trained is kind of gone because they've, they've won the nationals. They're, they're on top. They don't need to try to go to the worlds anymore. So, um, they might lose a bit of motivation to train because they're already going and focus a little bit more on the schooling. And I think that's a, a big concern for myself. That's a really good point. I, I didn't think about that, Tyler, actually, that that's a really good point. Let's get your response to a new rule. Curling Canada announced this week about the no tick rule being used uh, for the coming season. For all Curling Canada events, I'll, I'll read it to you quickly. If prior to the delivery of the sixth stone of an end, a delivered stone causes either directly or indirectly an opposition stone in the free guard zone, which is touching the center line to be moved to an off-center position or to a position outside of the free guard zone, the non-offending team can replace all the stones back to where they were or leave all the stones to stay where they have come to rest. What are your thoughts on that? Um... I do like that they're following the WCF. I, I don't think there's any reason why they should have different rules than what we'd be doing at the Worlds. But um, in terms of the rule itself, I, I really don't like it. I don't think it changes enough in the men's game. Uh, by the time that you're peeling, the rocks are going to be gone anyway with someone like Brett Gallant throwing five and a half second peels. He's, he's going to make those shots anyway. So it's, it's really no different. Yeah, I don't think you see teams crashing on guards accidentally a whole lot anyway uh, at the elite level. So I, I, I don't really think it changes enough to really make an impact. All it's going to really do in my eyes is um, create a bigger barrier for entry with too many nuanced rules. You know, Tyler, so I know you're a real good thinker of the game. You and I have talked lots about getting into the ditch and talking about the technical side. So I guess, where do you see the game? Where, like that's the way I look at things is I look at a big picture and try to figure out 10, 15 years down the road where things are going to be at. Where do you think it's going to be at? If you know, you don't, you're not thinking about the tick zone. Okay. That's fine. Um, but okay. Where do you think it's going to be? Because you know, people, they get stronger, faster in all sport. Curling's no different. You just said Brett Galant throws five and a half seconds for fun. Um, what, where are we at? Where are we going to be at in 10, 15 years? Yeah, it's really hard to predict because the younger are just getting so much better all the time. Teams like Myla Pletter catching everyone's eyes and doing so They're amazing, hey? Yeah, and um, <laughs> it's it's really hard to know how good teams are going to be when they get into the elite level. Um, but I do think rule changes are necessary 
um, whether it's 10 or eight ends, which I'm a big advocate for eight, by the way. Um, but uh, yeah, I think rule changes are necessary to really catch up with how good players are getting um, and the strength and everything. But uh, yeah, I'm just not a big fan of the, the no-take personally. Uh, Tyler, before you go, um, Kevin and Warren have always said, and a bunch of guests that we've had on, talk about the game that players have to have a place at the table uh, with the organizing bodies. Um, you are a program coordinator for Curling Alberta. You're still doing that? I recently had a title change to marketing and brand designer. Oh, there you go. So tell us about that job that we got to give kudos to Curling Alberta then for hiring someone who's actively in the game at a high level. Talk about that gig. Yeah, it's been really good. Um, I think the, the thing I like most is how open they are to hearing the feedback from uh, the curlers that are working for them. Um, we got a couple, Jason Ginter and um, Shannon Clybrink, uh, Paige Papley. Um, we're all active in the curling game still, and and uh, they're very open to hearing our feedback from a player's perspective on what, dire- what direction we really want to move things. Well done, my friend. Uh, That's awesome. Do we read here you're engaged? Yes. Yeah. When's the big day? Probably between the seventh and eighth end of a game. You're so busy. Yeah, the, uh, <laughs> the, the missus wants a winter wedding, so as you can imagine, the scheduling's been a little uh, tricky. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Christmas yeah. could be a good time. <laughs> It'll be the shortest wedding in the world. Come on, we got an hour and a half. I got to get back on an airplane. Yeah. Hey, Tyler. Tyler, we got married. Uh, we, we, same things with Sean and I on New Year's Eve. And Zone started, I think, January 2nd or 3rd of the year. <laughs> so it only had two days before the curling started again. So that'll be fun. That'll be fun for you. Congratulations. I did not know that. Congratulations. The honeymoon will be really good. That'll That'll be exciting for you. Tyler, thanks a lot, boy. Uh, you've really done so much uh, at such a young age, but it's it's the the new young guys who are who are moving ahead. And you know, I thought Matt Dunstone was he's only 28, but you're only 25 years old. So we're gonna watch for you to knock everybody out, and then you can retire when you're 32. You have done more than anybody at that age. Good luck the rest of the season, Tyler, and thanks a lot for coming on. Awesome, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Tyler. Good luck. Hey, thanks a lot, Tyler. Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has... Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now. What's happening around the curling world? Brought to you by Jackpot City. Jackpot City casino games perfectly made for you. Uh, let's talk about this mixed doubles event that went on in Sherwood Park. Warren, bring us up to speed. Well, this is part of the super series of mixed doubles events that's being held across Canada throughout the season. And uh, this one, of course, was held at Sherwood Park. Some of the best mixed doubles teams in the world were there from seven different nations. Rank number one, Jones Lang were there. Rank number two, Pierre Reos from Switzerland. 
Ranked number seven, Matsumura and Taniti from Japan, and Walker Myers, number nine, from Canada. Other notables, Bouchard Morris, Holman Tardy, Peterman Gallant, Gil Hewitt from Australia, and many more. In the end, the teams that made the semifinals, Masamura, Tanita beat Gil Hewitt in one semi, and Walker Myers down Holman Tardy in the other. In the final, it was Matsumura, Tanidi defeating Walker Myers by a score of 7-5. So Japan wins that first Super Series event, and... Uh, the mixed double players are just getting better, and this whole aspect of curling is only going to grow. Kev, what are your thoughts? I love mixed doubles. Everybody knows that. And to see these big events and and, and having seven different nations, uh, a team that I've, I was impressed with at the World uh, Mixed Doubles Championships over in um, Pyeongchang last year, uh, Marie Colvey and Harry Lill out of uh, Estonia. They're really, really good as well. They uh, went two and three, which I would not, that would not be a great result for them this week, but it's good to see them playing at the highest level again after the world championship uh, that they had. So um, I love it. It's, it's terrific. I really like the fact that it's growing, Jimmy. That, that's, that's the big thing. It's growing, more and more events, uh, more and more people trying to, well, do both, trying to play both mixed mm-hmm. doubles and four-person, or specializing like uh, uh, Walker and, uh, and Kirk Myers, Laura and, and Kirk. They, they're specializing mm-hmm. in mixed doubles. So there's, there's two ways of looking at it. You specialize or to try to do both. Um, the only issue with that is obviously it's just really, really busy. If you want to be the best mm-hmm. at something, doesn't matter if it's mixed doubles or four person, that's hard. But to try to be the best at both, that's obviously really hard. But right. but a great event. Um, I guess it really shows the strength of the international field, though, in mixed doubles when you've got uh, such strength coming down the line. Yeah, Japan, right? Japan won it, absolutely. But, but Australia had a great finish as well. You, you mentioned Jenny Prey and, and Martin Rios out of uh, Switzerland, terrific mixed doubles teams. They ended up three and two as well. So he had, he had some of the very best in the game from all over the world. So fantastic, great event, Sherwood Park. Well, are these teams, uh, Kevin, these international teams outside of Canada, for example, uh, Japan, are they, have they moved to Canada? Do these people just sort of come over here for the curling season? And, and set up somewhere and move around from some city in Canada? Well, I think they definitely come over here for quite a while. Now, now to move here, to actually say move here, I, I don't think so. Right. But to come over for quite a few weeks at a time, I, I think so. Yes, a lot of them do, and which is great. You know, some people think, well, we shouldn't be helping everybody. Well, no, yes, we should. This is wonderful to have, have such parity around the world in, in our sport. Not many sports can say that. And it's getting stronger and stronger. We're going to talk about some new nations that have come on side into the World Curling Federation today. And all of that is so important to the growth of our game. And our game is really strong right now internationally. So fantastic. Were you the sort of guy, Kev, when you went into an event that you wanted absolutely the best competition? Or were you the sort of guy going... Oh, no, is Team Japan here? Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, back in the day, you might have said that, maybe, but you wouldn't say it today. Uh, team right. Japan's going to be the, one of the toughest teams in the event and, and everything, in mixed doubles, women's or men's, it doesn't matter. There, 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 lots of depth now in, in Japan, but you're right. I, I was definitely a guy who wanted to play the best teams, yes, all the time. One thing, I guess my weakness would have been the round robins, trying to you know stay focused against teams that maybe aren't, at the top but boy when you gotcha. get to the quarters semis and finals and grand slams and the big events uh, i loved it absolutely loved it right to the day i retired yeah cool cool how about you warren did you like the big competition or are you going i hope it's a light field we got a shot i like to win jim 
Yeah, the boy. <laughs> but, but I'll tell boy. you, we faced uh, probably the same problem Kevin did when he was on, on top of the heap. Uh, everybody you played, whether you knew them well or not, were going to play their best against you when you're playing with uh, a guy like I was with Gervais and, and Kevin's successes. So you always you, you had no easy games because everybody always played their best against you because they had low expectations and were relaxed and just played well. So that's one of the one of the other challenges that you face in playing teams that, oh, I don't know that guy. That game should be easy. And all of a sudden, after six ends, you're saying, what happened? A few weeks ago, Montana's Barbecue and Bar was announced as the new sponsor of the Briar, of course, the National Men's Championship. Uh, this is following Tim Hortons, who we thought would be with us for a long time. Uh, they had an 18-year run as the main sponsor, title sponsor of the Briar. Uh, Warren, you've got thoughts on this for sure. Uh, why, why did it break down with Tim Hortons, or did it? Or is there something that we didn't know that you do, that they went to a new sponsor? Well, I think Tim Hortons made it uh, known almost a year ago that they were not going to continue as sponsor of the Briar. That's after 18 years, which is a pretty good run. Things change within companies. Uh, their whole uh, target changes depending upon uh, what's going on. And for whatever reason, they decided that the Briar was no longer a fit or, in fact, they had been there long enough. So that happens in sponsorships. 18 years is a pretty good run. Montana's, a little bit about them. Montana's is a chain of 105 restaurants that exist in every province except Quebec. The other restaurants are Kelsey's, The Keg, Eastside Mario's, Harvey's, New York Fries, St. Hubert's, and so on. The chain is owned by Recipe Unlimited, which was once known as Cara. So it's a big company. It's only the fifth sponsor the Briar has ever had in almost 100 years of existence. So it isn't something that happens very often. Uh, if we take a look at what exactly the sponsorship situation is, if we go back to the season of champions, which Tim Hortons was the lead sponsor of, there were seven events in the season of champions that were spread over the entire first quarter of the year, first of January till early part of April. If you were the title of one of those events, you got uh, signage and television airtime and all seven others. So it was very much a first quarter media buy. That's really not the case anymore because the season champions uh, between January 1st and early April now only has four events. And the first one doesn't start till the end of February, which is the Scotties. And the final one ends the first week of April, which is the Men's World. So it's almost a March type of event. Uh, appearance for a title sponsor like uh, Montana. So I certainly couldn't see it being worth as much as it was with Tim Hortons, but uh, who knows? We understand it's a five-year deal, and uh, we'll wish Montana's and Curling Canada all the best with things going forward. One thing I wonder about, however, and Kevin is uh, really up on this one, as am I, and that's the athlete's signage issue. So we're down to the point that the Briar and the Scotties are both the only events in the world of any consequence where the athletes do not have the right to display any of their own sponsors' advertising. And that goes back forever. That was in McDonald's tobacco back in the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s. It was carried through to Labatt's, and it continues. This was a major contentious issue in the early part of uh, 2001 when group led by Kevin virtually... Uh, boycotted the Briar, and this is one of the main issues that were on the table because there was no opportunity for any athlete uh, identification at the event. Russ Howard actually led a group of curlers in a lawsuit against Curling Canada in 1997. It wasn't successful, but this was a, a throbbing sore. It was supposedly to have been solved when the players came back in 2003 after the walkout, but the issue was Curling Canada said 
The Tim Hortons contract isn't being renegotiated till 2008. It'll be in the next agreement. Well, it wasn't. And here we are in 2023. There's still no allocation for athlete signage. And from what I've been able to find out, this contract has not taken care of that. So a little bit disturbing from my point of view. What do you think, Kevin? Yeah, well, it is um, because you and I were both part of that talk in 2003. And and uh, obviously, uh, revenue sharing uh, from the Briar, because in 1997, of course, there's 18,000 people in Calgary, uh, Saddle Dome, and, and the money wasn't, there was nothing shared. <laughs> I think it was 1300 bucks or something the team got, some some small amount. But um, so that was part of the agreement. So was scheduling, making sure that the provincials didn't take every week for the entire quarter uh, up. So that was part of the agreement. The other part was sponsorship on the uniform at the Briar. And that was agreed to in 2003. That's why we did come back uh, out of the boycott, uh, expecting that to happen when the contract was renegotiated in 2008, and it did not happen. So that was really unfortunate. Um, and you know, I, I, I think the players probably need to revisit this as a group. Um, it's just it's, it, it doesn't make any sense. Um, a team like oh, there's so many, there's so many that are well sponsored, but Brad Guju or, or 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 Rachel Holm and Carrie Anderson, these these teams have such fantastic sponsors, Kevin Cooey, so on. There's so many, and to go into an event that takes ten days, and not have be able to promote your sponsors or with you all year, it just it makes no sense whatsoever. But it's something that has to be dealt with, and we tried to deal with it. Um, I guess we probably. Shouldn't have made that agreement in 03. I, I just trusted the other side that what they said would happen would happen. And unfortunately, uh, it didn't. Uh, but back to your point about the seasons and March being kind of the seasons of champions now is sort of a one month or a month and a half property. Um, so you're saying things like inside curling that go pretty much all year round. It's a better place for corporations to put their money. Is that what you're saying, uh, Warren? Or... <laughs> I, I was yes. just trying to read between the lines as to yeah. uh, where, where, where are you getting at? Well, we're around for yeah. nine months, 10 months of the year. I mean, so yeah, we, by all means, give us a call. <laughs> yeah. We take all com- We take all comers, man. Yeah. Okay, there we go. Congratulations to Montanas. Thanks a lot for jumping on. All the curlers are going to appreciate it. Maybe we'll knock off some ribs. <laughs> huh? You guys, when we get together? That'd be good for me. The WCF held its annual general meeting in September, and it was announced that three new nations are now members of the WCF. Warren is going to fill us in on this. Pakistan, Philippines, and Puerto Rico. Both Philippines and Puerto Rico are named as provisional members, while Pakistan joins as a conditional member. Also during the assembly, uh, Bosnia, Herzegovina, and Thailand progressed from conditional members to provisional members. Warren, what does all this mean? Well, first of all, it means there's now 73 nations that are in some capacity uh, a member of the World Curling Federation, which I think is great news. I'll define the conditional versus provisional, which the WCF has been kind enough to uh, to advise us on. A conditional membership can be conferred by the board of the World Curling Federation. It does not require approval of the full membership. And the reason this needs to happen is in some countries, the National Olympic Rec- Committee requires a curling association to join the World Federation before it can be considered to be recognized by that National Olympic Committee. But the WCF bylaws require a prospective member to have already been recognized by their National Olympic Committee before they can be approved for provisional or full membership by the WCF member nations. So initially, the board says you are now a conditional member. 
They can then take that to their National Olympic Committee and ask for approval. Once they get that, they come back to the World Curling Federation and they say you are now a provisional member. So that's what that all virtually means. So anyway, it's all good news. And uh, the other thing I think I should mention is a member cannot compete in a WCF competition until they are at least a provisional member. All clear? So you got to get better. You got to get better to move up the well, rank. Well, not so much better. You got to become uh, a full-fledged member of the uh, World Federation before you can compete. Kev, you love the growth of curling. You must love. This. I do. I do. I, I don't have much to say about which countries. There, it's, it's terrific to see more and more uh, nations getting into our, our great sport. And uh, yeah, welcome, welcome to the welcome to the group. Yeah, more and more the better. And uh, it just shows the strength, doesn't it, Jimmy? When you you know we do this quite often where we're talking about new strength in in Turkey or, right. or, or Italy or or Nigeria, and we're talking about all these different countries that are getting better and better at the sport of curling. Um, India. Uh, with uh, PN uh, Raju, with uh, with Darren Molding, working with him. So um, it's just, there's just a great amount of growth and it's wonderful to see. Yeah, there's no doubt that curling is doing something with massive growth, you know, with, with countries that you would never predict uh, would become curling nations. You know, like ho- women's hockey, for example, right? It's very difficult to grow, really difficult to grow, right? It's kind of US and and Canada. And then you got, you got a couple other countries, you know, that are getting better, but... Good job, man. Good job by curling. It's fantastic. Kev, we're going to see your ugly mug all season again. Okay. I kid, of course. It is the first Grand Slam of the season coming up next week in Niagara Falls. It is the Hearing Life Tour Challenge and features a total of 32 teams, both men and women. In both divisions, the teams are split into 16 Tier 1 and 16 Tier 2 teams. In both cases, the round-robin play will consist of four pools with four teams in each pool. That math works. The top eight teams will qualify for the playoffs. Moving forward, there will no longer be any tiebreakers in no events going forward. None of the Grand Slam of curling events, except the Players' Championship. The Tier 1 teams in the event were determined by world rankings as of September 18th. And once the Tier 1 group was confirmed, invitations were sent out to Tier 2 participants. Yeah, and it's a good one. The Hearing Life Tour Challenge is fantastic. Um, you fill the, how it works, Jimmy, is you fill the Tier 1 first, okay, with 16 and 16, women's and men's. Uh, then, but the part I really like is the Tier 2. So the Tier 2 are the next group of 16 women, 16 top men's teams in the world, and they come and battle it out. And the winners, the winners of the Tier 2 on the women's and men's side, then they get to... An, an entry into the tier one co-op Canadian open that will be held in Red Deer in January. So that's a big deal. And then also uh, Corey Dropkin and Clancy Grandy, they won the tier two. Can you imagine that those are, those are really good teams, but they won the tier two, not the tier one last year. So now they're in the tier one this year. So it's just a wonderful event to get more and more teams into the fold. One thing that with the slams, the, the top teams are so good. It, it, it makes it kind of difficult for new, young, up-and-coming teams to get into the fold. But this is a wonderful way for teams to, to make it into the, the Tier 1 Grand Slam Tour season um, because it's such, a, it's such a difficult thing to be able to play in, on the Tour, playing around the Tour, playing all these events, but then to be able to get enough points to get into the top 16 in the world, which is the Grand Slam. This is a terrific event. I love it. And, and Jimmy, uh, in Niagara, uh, I was talking to Christy that ticket sales have been fantastic. Um, they've got bands. They've got a 
I think it's, I believe it's like a big tent out front, which is kind of a, a party place with music. And it's just, uh, it's kind of going off the hinges a bit in, in Niagara Falls. It's going to be fantastic. Yeah, I can't wait. Bringing me back to my patch days, man. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's just going to be a wild stuff. event, but fantastic. I hope the weather hangs in there really nice too. It's been fantastic down around the, the Niagara area. Uh, Warren, what are your comments? Uh, I would think you want to talk about uh, no tiebreakers. Uh, how come, Warren, and uh, what do you say to that? I think that's a great move because, again, it's the time that tiebreakers take and the unpredictability that they bring to any event. And I think as we move forward here, this is going to be where uh, where all events are going to end up with the end. The World Federation is there now. Canada kind of is, they kind of aren't. But I think that's where everything is going to go. Let's talk about some of the teams that are going to be in this event. First, on the Tier 1 side, uh, there's practically it's who's who in the curling world. On the men's side, Botcher, Carruthers, Dunstan, Adin, Gushu, Cooey, Mowat, Ramsfeld, Retornez, Schwaller, <laughs> Schuster, and more. <laughs> On the women's side, Constantini, Einerson, Fushisawa, Gim, Grandi, Hasselberg, Holman, Jones, Laws, Peterson, Terrazzoni, Rana, and more. So it's certainly who's who in the curling world without question. Um, I saw something here a little while ago. I think there's a total of 11 different nations are going to be represented in this event, which is uh, fantastic. I think that we've got 11 nations now that have teams that are at that level, whether it be Tier 1 or Tier 2. In the Tier 2 side, on the men's side, a couple of teams that we maybe wouldn't think would be in Tier 2, but they are, Epping and McCune, because they simply don't have enough points for Tier 1. And another team that's on the horizon, it's also in that Tier 2 men's event, Sturme. On the women's side, again, some good teams in here. Black, Latticeur, Skirlick, teams that are just on the edge but aren't quite good enough to be up in that Tier 1 event yet. So it's going to be a fantastic week with some great curling, and we hope down in Niagara Falls that everybody in the area is able to get out and enjoy it. McEwen's interesting. He's now playing on a Saskatchewan. That team has already done fairly well this year, and uh, he's maybe one to kind of watch for. Mike's got uh, lots of ability, and uh, he's had some bad luck in the last two, three years, but you can never take him for granted without question. Hot Rock Topics, brought to you by Coyote Tractor. If you have work to do, Coyote has the tractors, UTVs, ZTRs, and compact construction equipment to do it. Coyote, we dig dirt. During the recent World Curling Federation annual general meeting, some decisions were made, along with uh, regards to the future of the game. Never talked about this before, whether it should be 10 ends, 8 ends, or 16 ends. They've thrown that in there. <laughs> uh, boy, we talk about this a lot. And Warren, you've always said they got to get off their ass and do something about it. Uh, but we don't know how much they did. That's why we're going to throw it to you, Warren. Is it all going to eight ends now? Yes, not anytime soon. So I got this information directly from Graham Prowse, who's uh, vice president of the World Federation. So I think what I'm going to say is pretty factual. But it goes back to the fall of 2022. When at the World Federation AGM at that point in time, they passed a motion giving the board of directors authority over rules, playoff formats, and uh, things of that nature going forward. At the same time, they passed another motion asking the board to review the length of game and the world championship format. An interesting understanding that there's an opinion out there that would prefer eight ends and actually more teams at the world championship, but fewer games. Anyway, the WCF spent the fall and winter last year 
consulting with their business partners, which is the broadcasters, the marketing agents, sponsors, to determine the financial impacts of reducing the game by two wins. It was found it would be negative overall and would cost the WCF and some of its members, and in particular Curling Canada, money. <laughs> the impacts are primary loss of impressions and subsequent reduced sponsor value, inability to guarantee meter rate holders more than seven games for the national teams, and two ends of television commercials, of course, in Canada. So what has been decided this past December? The WCF has decided they will stay with 10 ends and the current World Championship format through to the end of 2026 Olympics. However, they are keenly aware that the broadcast, streaming, and sponsorship advertising environment is changing rapidly. And they also know that the way the product is being packaged has to change. So over the next two years, they are going to be doing a number of trials outside of their main championships. It's going to take a stab at pace of play, game tiebreaker options that will allow them to better package their product, regardless of the length of game. However, from my point of view, there's a lot of things that uh, have to be looked at here. I'll look at this one in particular, the players. It takes about 14 games to win a world championship. With 10 end games, that is an additional 28 ends of play, or almost eight eight end games. And consider the players do not receive a dime for winning a world championships. It sounds like it is money to everyone except the people on the ice playing those extra two ends. So I'm not sure where this is going to go in the end. I know they're talking about they're trying to figure out ways to reduce the length of time it takes to play a game. But I can't see how that's possible uh, with the way things are structured to take that 10 end games and cram it into two and a half hours, which has probably got to become the max going forward, more likely two hours. I think you need to have as part of that show... You need to have the draw shot challenge at the start of the game because it's so important. That needs to be part of the telecast. And I think probably extra ends need to be part of it. And if that's going to be the situation, you can't do more than eight ends and get that whole thing into two and a half hours. That's my thoughts. Kevin, what do you think? Yeah, well, I like the fact that uh, WCF are actually working on it. I think that that's a positive, that they're looking at it, understanding that... Uh, the young people these days don't really want to watch a three, three and a half hour sporting event. That's really important. They, that's not really in their repertoire. So we need to make games quicker. Now, if there's a way to do it with 10 ends to have it wrap in two and a half hours, if that's possible by some sort of a shot clock or the pitching clock in baseball has been absolutely fantastic. It's made such a difference. Um, I really thought they might have to cut down the amount of innings in a ball game. That would be you know, hard to imagine. But boy, that pitch clock has made a huge difference to the flow of the game. So maybe there's a way to do it in curling. Like, you know, I, 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 I don't see it, but maybe there is. And uh, I certainly didn't think of a, a pitch clock would make that big a difference in ball. So, and I'm a big ball fan. So um, to me, uh, over the next couple of years, WCF studies this. If they can figure out a way to, to wrap a game quicker, fantastic. The bottom line is I think they know, uh, most people realize that we have to wrap in definitely under three hours, but two and a half is probably the goal. And how do we do that? Whatever that takes. Uh, and if it's some sort of a way to speed up play uh, in the game so you can play tenants, great. It's just it's hard for me to see it, but that, that's okay. Yeah. I think where you guys are both missing the boat here when I heard that announcement, uh, it's the first time we've ever talked about it, is the sponsors are coming forward going, wait a minute, uh, we're, we're losing some exposure here 
for our dollar. Well, yes and no. I'm not sure you're right there, Jimmy. Um, you you are in present day broadcast, right? But the but the the idea that they're realizing things are changing. Graham's words that it's changing rapidly. So the way to fulfill your sponsorship obligations can change. You can bring that sponsorship out in a different way than the traditional 30 second spot. And, and that's just that, that would eliminate that, that concern about that last two ends. Uh, they're right in the way broadcast has worked for many, many, many years, you lose those commercials in those last two ends. It is costing money, no question, but no, but it, no, but it, yeah, but that's not looking forward. Look, looking into the future, that's that's not the way it's going to work. No, it's not. There's so many better ways of doing all this, Jim, than 30-second commercials that, quite frankly, everybody PVRs out of or switches to another channel or whatever the case anyway. So I'd like to know at some point in time how many people really see those commercials and the time it eats up. So you've got to have your sponsor fulfillment within the show itself. So it's really good use of signage. It's pop-up ads. It's banner ads. It's the commentators making comments about the product. All this part of the show, which again is not going to take any time out of the actual telecast. I think there's a need to, they're coming out of this, probably fulfill your sponsors better than you are right now by changing. You know, I tried to hold my own there. I tried to take the other side. You guys shot me down. Okay. I'm trying here, Warren. I'm really trying. We, we need a challenge. I couldn't even I... finish before Martin said, no, Jim, you dummy, you're wrong. It'll... <laughs> I would never call you a dummy, Jim. I know you wouldn't, man. I, I know you wouldn't. What are you hearing brought to you by Hearing Life? If vision places the world in front of us, hearing places us at its center. Uh, Love your ears, Hearing Life. Speaking of that, we're hearing that uh, Ryland Hartley has a special event going on in Dundas, Ontario, from the 12th to the 15th. It's called the Players Open, sponsored by IRSL. And uh, we're going to have some special things happening, like an appearance by the band Dirty Nil. Ryan's going to join us. Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now. Tell us all about that. Luke Bentham. Uh, I just found out this morning, this is, no, this is no slouch of a band, man. Okay, and they're going to play the curling club. Ryan, and welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Jim. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, we, uh, we, we, we got a chance here to find out about a little music that's coming in because Warren uh, has an excellent voice. We'd love to hear him <laughs> sing. <this. laughs> what's, catch us up, Ryan. What's going on, man? Yeah, we have, um, I think, one of the largest events on tour this year with the new Players Open, sponsored by In-Situ Remediation. Like you said, IRSL, uh, irsl.ca is their website. Um, and yeah, we're trying to, to view this event in a little bit less of a traditional sense. Like, we've got two curling clubs in Dundas that are actually located right side by side. They're separated by about uh, a five-minute walk down a, a little trail. 
Um, so we have Dundas Valley Golf and Curling is one of the hosts for the, our women women's event. Uh, and then we have Dundas Granite Curling Club is the host of the men's event this week. Um, and uh, the ice conditions are great. We brought in rocks from the Ontario Tankard. Uh, so we've got some amazing stuff set up for the, these athletes. Uh, it's 140K per split between men's and women's equally. Uh, and it's 24 teams. Uh, round robin, we have some of the best teams in the world. And I think a lot of these teams, with the location of it being in Dundas, Ontario this week, are sort of treating it like a warm-up for the Grand Slam uh, you know, in the next week or so here uh, in Niagara Falls. Cool. Yeah. Kevin? Hey, yeah, 24 teams. So it's 24 on the men's side, 24 on the women's. And blocked in four groups of six, so a five-game round robin. Is that what I'm understanding? Yeah. Wow. And I, I kind of had a quick look at the, the teams involved. Are you missing any of the slam teams? <laughs> they seem to all be there. <laughs> or it seems like most of them are there. I shouldn't say all. Yeah, absolutely. I think like some of the only teams that we're missing, I mean, we had Homan and Gushu registered at one point. Uh, Gushu obviously has to now play the Pan Continental, uh, which is a little unfortunate for us. Uh, and then Rachel had her baby and reached out and said, hey, we'd still love to support the event. Uh, Emma's going to be dropping by for a day of the event. Uh, you know, they were really good about it, uh, but would have loved to have those teams there. But outside of that, I mean, I think the the entire field is stacked. It's going to be really hard for any team to qualify at this event. It's going to be, you know, absolutely a barn burner. Do you think, by looking at, I'm just doing a little bit of math in my head with 24 teams and this difficult of a field, do you think any three and twos can can get in? Or is it, is it going to be a battle of, if you can imagine, I, I, I actually am serious with this, um, eight teams qualify for the playoffs. Will a three and two get in or is it all going to be four and ones and potentially even maybe a tiebreaker or how, how are you going to break that tie when there's nine or 10 four and yep. ones? Yeah. I mean, there's potentially 12 four and ones, right? There could be yeah, potentially I, you, 12. You, four could, and ones. you could, I mean, I hope not because <laughs> it would make, make it a little tricky for us, but uh, with the caliber of teams, I mean, uh, you know, I think we've, we've tried to prepare for, for sort of any scenario. Uh, we do have a sort of standard tiebreaker on the, uh, the Saturday night. Uh, and we made sure that we had room in the draw to do that. Um, you know, we hear about, you know, curling tour events that, that have tiebreakers at 1 a.m. in the morning and, you know, money goes missing from pools and all these sorts of other things. And we've tried to really make sure that this event, uh, despite all of the additions of entertainment and everything else that we're doing, uh, that it still runs like a pure curling event and, and it can be one of the best events on the tour for, for hopefully many years to come. Yeah, it's really exciting what you're doing with 24 teams and, and uh, the four pools of six. And I guess what, what else is going on? I hear rumors that there's going to be some pretty fun stuff. Uh, I was talking to Karik uh, about it. Uh, they're heading it down to uh, they're I think they're coming down to see you. I think they're flying out Tuesday or Wednesday morning. There must be some practice ice uh, prior to the event starting. It, it sounds like you've done a ton of work on this. Uh, just let me know what, what's going on here. Yeah, thanks, Kevin. Um, I think uh, you're, you're right. There is practice ice for two days before the event. So Tuesday, Wednesday, depending on when this airs, um, is, is the practice ice. Um, and that's pretty much full. Like the, these top teams, they like to practice early. We've got, you know, uh, teams from, from Great Britain and Scotland. Um, they've come out and pretty much the whole mornings are blocked out to, to European teams. And then the afternoons, we've got Canadian teams. You know, everybody's taking advantage of that practice ice and, and trying to make sure they're, they're in tip-top shape for the event. Um, but as we get into the event itself, what's unique about our event, I think, is, uh, you know, Thursday night we have this amazing concert uh, with the Dirty Null. Um, so basically uh, the club shuts down early. We do one one draw less uh, at the Dundas Granite Club. 
Um, so that way all the teams are off the ice. They don't have to listen to music from in the ice shed. Um, everybody goes upstairs uh, and we're expecting it to be basically shoulder to shoulder for the concert. I mean, this is a band that plays the Danforth in Toronto and now they're playing, you know, a, a 200 person room uh, upstairs at the Curling Club in this VIP event uh, on the Thursday night, which I think is pretty cool. Um, it's going to be loud. It's going to be rowdy. I think it's going to be a ton of fun. Um, we've got our sponsor, uh, beer collective arts, uh, on taps the, the whole weekend. Um, so we're doing some fun stuff with them. Uh, we have an innovation night that's run by chamber of commerce and city of Hamilton, uh, as well as innovation factory on the Friday night at Dundas Valley. So we have business networking innovators coming out to just sort of see the curling space. Uh, and some of these people are also our sponsors as well. Uh, and then on the Sunday night, the way everything wraps up. We have this amazing trophy from uh, the Hamilton Victoria uh, Curling Club's historical department. Uh, it's from 1867. Uh, and that trophy is being shared between the men's and women's champions. Uh, that's going to the casino at Casino Flamborough. That's Elements Casino Flamborough. And um, we've got some free play for teams. We've got some stuff set up with a Monte Carlo room. And basically, it's just a, a nice way to wrap up the event. So it's entertainment the whole weekend long. And then the curling is, you know, the cherry on top. Everybody's coming in to see that. So you're doing you're doing what happened years ago with the Beach Boys coming in to Dundas and uh, and now having the curling side of uh, of it a modern style. Absolutely, it's part of how we pitched it to the band. Actually, you know, uh, sixty years ago, almost to the day uh, in in Hamilton, Dundas, Ontario, there used to be another club, uh, and the Beach Boys came in and played that curling club. So now, many years later, uh, Luke and the boys from the Dirty Nil are going to be playing. Uh, some amazing music at the club. And I think it's uh, yeah a little bit of an echo of the past, but you know, I think uh, an amazing thing for them to come in and, and do something fun with this event. Absolutely. Fantastic, Rylan. Uh, thanks, Rylan. Sounds like there's more to do there than you can get done at Disneyland. Holy man, that'll be, uh, that'll be great. Uh, Hanson, did you sit down with the band? Are you, are you trying to get another gig, Warren? To, uh... I did, I did, Jim. I'm now heading into the band world. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> I can't wait to hear that. That'll be good. Is cash king now in the curling world? One of the things that's changing is the amount of purses, man, that are going up. It, it must have something to do with attracting good curlers. Yeah, you know, I think um, cash is a part of it, but I also think, you know, location, timing in the schedule is really important. Um, you know, the fact that this is the week before slamming in the same region, uh, I think really helps right. us out. Um, I think that there's definitely, I think curlers understand events that are well-organized and events that are following sort of what, you know, the formats that they would like to play. I think that matters to, to a lot of teams. Um, you know, there, there have been a few events this year that, you know, gotten a little bit off track with, uh, you know, with weird sort of hybrid formats and things like that. And it happens every year. Um, so we've tried to really consult with the curlers and, and make sure that we've done everything we can so that the, the event is the way that they would like it run. I think that's, you know, I think that that lends, uh, you know, itself to having some of the top teams there. Get back to work, Ryan, and you've got lots to do, man. Thanks for joining us. Thanks very much, everyone. Appreciate it. Good luck. All right, we'd like to welcome to the show Luke Betham, who is the front man and the lead guitarist for the band Dirty Nil. They will be playing this weekend at the Players' Open Championship at the Dundas Curling Club. Welcome, Luke. Thank you so much for having me. So you're playing in a curling club. What were your first thoughts about doing a show in a curling club? What do you know about curling? Well, I've played curling when I was a kid, but it's been a long time. Um, 
I, when we first uh, got approached about doing it, uh, we were very excited about it because we're um, we're a band that's been around for a while. Uh, but uh, the thing that kind of makes us really excited these days is playing in spaces that we don't usually play in and also having an opportunity to play in Dundas again, which is our hometown, um, was something that we couldn't really let pass up. Uh, the last time we played in Dundas was in 2009 during the uh, Cactus Festival. We played in the Dairy Queen parking lot in front of about 10 people and got paid uh, two milkshakes for three guys. Uh, so it's it's nice to come back to uh, to Dundas and play again. So I think the Beach Boys played there not too long ago even. Uh, what's your thoughts about following the Beach Boys? <laughs> Did the Beach Boys play there? Wow. Well, that's, I mean, that's, uh, that is very exciting. Um, we're big Beach Boys fans. Uh, and uh, yeah, no, that's, that's, that's incredible. I did not know that. So you're a punk band. How do you plan on engaging a curling audience who might not be that familiar with your music? Well, we've got a few covers up our sleeves, that's for sure. We, uh, we're a band that kind of prides ourselves on our, our cover repertoire, ever-expanding. I don't know. I, I also just feel, you know, false modesty aside, I, I feel like we're, we're pretty good at what we do and that um, we're, uh, we're pretty good at getting a crowd going no matter, no matter what that crowd is. We've played some strange uh, events and usually been able to, uh, to win some converts by the end, so... I think we're well prepared for the task at hand. So I listened to some of your music. I found one piece I like, Blunt Force Concussion. What do you think you might have in your repertoire that will interest the curling fans that uh, might be specific for them? Well, we've prepared a few uh, sports uh, sports fan favorites, uh, uh, rock covers, uh, which I think um, will go over well with the Thursday crew. We, we all grew up playing team sports in Dundas, so I feel like there's there's a kind of spiritual affinity uh, uh, between uh, everyone that's going to be in that room. Like all my favorite rock and roll experiences, it's going to be more or less uh, a collision of, of different forces, and we'll see what happens. So maybe this will be the start of a whole new line of your career, playing in curling facilities. I used to work with uh, the big event in curling, the Briar, where we had the Briar Patch, where we had thousands of people in there. So maybe that'll be your your opportunity to get up to the next level. What do you think? One can only hope. One can only <laughs> hope, Warren. We'll see We'll see what happens. But as I said before, uh, we're always interested in, in pursuing some new experiences and new, new crowds to play in front of. So this is an incredible opportunity that we're really excited about. Great. Well, thanks for joining us, Luke. And uh, we want to wish you all the best of luck with your show this weekend. And hopefully it's the start of uh, you playing in curling facilities all over Canada. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for having me. Someone invite me for dinner. There we go. That's a wrap on the show. Uh, we got a lot in there, man. Uh, cool stuff. Uh, we want to thank Rod Paulson. He handles... All of our uh, Facebook stuff, in-house strategies is his company. And uh, join our Facebook group, all right? Warren, is it driving you crazy? Oh, we've had lots of fun there this week, Jim. Lots of fun. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> uh, like I say, if you don't, if you don't uh, belong, join now and express your opinion, all right? Go after Hanson a little bit, okay? Uh, also, a reminder, if you uh, send us an email, it may get read on air, uh, but we'd love to hear from you because it has a lot to do with our topics that Warren puts together. You can email us insidecurling at gmail.com.
jackpotcitycoyote.com. Once again, Jackpot City Coyote, Hearing Life, and Goldline are our sponsors for Inside Curling. Gobble, 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 gobble. <laughs> Have a good week, boys. Okay, take it easy. We'll be back next week with another episode of Inside Curling. See you later, fellas. Thanks, Jimmy. Thanks, Jim. You're welcome, guys.